This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. We haven't met before. Uh, my name's Adam Vermontis. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, I get to do a, a bulk of the preaching and teaching here at our church. And so, uh, great, great privilege. And so if you're new to our church, and I see some new new friends and new faces with us. If I haven't met you yet, I would I would love to do that. And so look forward to getting an opportunity to meeting those of you that are, that are new or newer uh, to our uh, congregation here. Uh, if you've brought a Bible with you, uh, I welcome you to open that to the book of Exodus. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. You'll be able to follow along. Uh, we have been working our way. It's, it's our kind of our bread and butter practice uh, just to work through either entire books of the Bible or large sections of the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter for the most part. Uh, we've been in the book of Exodus, well, for a number of years actually. We've paused intermittently here and there, but we're, we're doing our, our best to, to, to push through to the finish line. And so we are, we're in Exodus chapter uh, 25 uh, this morning. So if you're following along in the Bible, I'll, uh, again, you can go ahead and turn there. Before I read the passage, uh, and it's going to be a, a number of different passages actually, um, let, me, let me give you a little insight into what's going on uh, in the book of Exodus uh, by way of illustration. Um, I've been married now for 17 years, and God is teaching me, continues to teach me an incredible amount about himself and myself through marriage. If you're not married... Uh, you, and if you if you are married, you, you know that um, perhaps the uh, unique design of marriage um, that God, in His wisdom, has given us is to teach us about Himself and ourselves in it. And um, very very early on, in fact, right after Heather and I were married, uh, we lived in Phoenix. We were finishing up college. We got married in college, and. We, we, had, we had, you know, scrounged up a couple pennies, enough to put down a little deposit and, and purchase our first home. Uh, we had no business buying a home. It, I mean, it, it barely worked out. We were able to sell before the big bubble bursting in 2007 or whatever in the market. But, but we, we, we put together some pennies for a little down payment, and we, we, we did actually a new build of a little townhouse in Phoenix. And that process was a, a ton of fun for us. Um, you know, we're young, we had no idea what we're doing, but you know, you get to, you get a little bit of customization when you're doing a new build. If you've ever done a new build, you have to pick out the, the countertops and the cabinets and the tile colors and all the things. And we, and we had fun with that. And it was, it's kind of our first taste in marriage of really collaborating together um, on, a, on a bit of a project. Um, and, you know, one of the things I think that uh, marriage teaches us about spirituality. And here's kind of the segue into Exodus chapter 25. Is that marriage is, is a partnership. Uh, that it is a collaboration of two individuals uh, working together. And building a home is a great example of like two, two people collectively, you know, building a home together, both literally and even metaphorically in, in kind of building your home. I found it ironic um, that God, the first thing, if you've been with us, you'll know this, uh, Exodus chapter 24, in my take on it, was God marrying his people. Um, it's, a, it's a wedding ceremony of God saying, 
this is uh, what I will do to secure a relationship with my people. And then the first thing God does uh, in this young, you know, budding relationship is to build a home with them. Uh, We call the home in Exodus the tabernacle. Um, It's also called the tent of meeting. You'll hear that language in the coming weeks. Um, and, and here's, you know, here's the, the spiritual connection with my, you know, first experience of building a home. And here's what I, w- I deeply want you to believe today. That God is interested in collaborating with you in building a home with him. And that is, um, that is what the chapters 25 through 40 in the book of Exodus are about. Is God desiring to partner with his people in building a place for him to dwell really close with them? And the Bible calls that home. So the way the rest of the book of Exodus works is um, chapters 25 up through 35 give, give God's people instructions on building the home. And then chapters 35 to 40 are like the actual building of the home. And so over the coming weeks, I'm, I'm going to actually be picking up on both because it, they parallel each other. The, the language is repetitious. So, uh, so this morning I'm going to read uh, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9, and then I'm going to jump over to chapter 35, um, and the, the section is verses 4 to 29, but I'm only going to read verse 20 to 29. So I'll, I'll clue you in with where we're at. Let's, let's read God's word. This is... Uh, This is from Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, going down through verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. And then jumping over to chapter 35, picking up in verse 20, going down through verse 29. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings, and signet rings, and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue, or purple, or scarlet yarns, or fine linen, or goat's hair, or tanned ram skins, or goat skins, brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. 
All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, we, we need to hear from you this morning. I pray that you would uh, take my words and make them yours. I pray that you would help us to see the connection of this seemingly obscure passage of the Old Testament and how it deeply, deeply resonates with our lives and with what we're all longing for in our core, namely to be close to you. Help us to see clearly now, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go back to the Olympics briefly. Uh, we watched some of the events last night, and um, one of the beautiful things about the Olympics is seeing you know, all of the obscure countries and you know, seemingly less-known athletes, and we were watching some of the swimming events last night, and you know, we're, we're Americans, so we're, we're deeply rooting for America, of course. But it's fun uh, to watch uh, when a nobody um, makes something of themselves. And we got, to, we got to see that last night in the 400-meter uh, men's freestyle event. Uh, there were a couple Americans swimming in it who were, you know, anticipated to, to be on the platform there receiving medals. And out of nowhere, uh, the, the number eight entry into the final heat uh, was a teenager from Tunisia. And he, he just swam the race of his life. Uh, you know, he, he was not expected to win. In fact, he barely made, again, by .14 uh, in the semifinal heat. He, he barely got in. And he came out of nowhere, and he won the, he won the race. Uh, he got gold. And I was, I was uh, you know, I was reading a, a little article this morning on it because I was kind of fascinated by it. I was trying to find out who this kid was. And the, the, the kid didn't have much to say about himself, but I found it pretty insightful, uh, you know, leave it to an American journalist to, to interview the American after the loss. Uh, but they interviewed, you know, one of the Americans that was in that race, and they said, you know, what did you know about this, this uh, swimmer? I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name. This swimmer from Tunisia. And the American's response, um, oh, so, oh, so American, was this, absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, this, this guy was a sleeper, right? They, they had no clue about who this kid was. Uh, he had no business winning this race, and there he was on the platform getting gold. I think, I think the Olympics, what it, it strikes a chord in, in most of us, unless you're just a soulless individual, but like something strikes a chord uh, when, a nobody, when a nobody does something, Right? When, a, when, a, when a somebody who is not on anybody's radar is on the platform getting gold, that just, it just does something, right? Unless you're, unless you're cold and soulless and love America way too much. Um, and, you know, I think that, that chord inside of us, uh, I think it translates into our spiritual life. Um, because here's, here's, here's something I think we all need to grasp onto. That God 
is deeply interested in partnering in the world with you. And there's something inside of us that says, you know, that, that kind of sounds good, but Adam, you don't know me. Like, I, don't, I don't bring anything to the table. Uh, you don't know my past. And, and, and the, the thing about the God of the Bible is the people he uses most are the people who feel like they have the least to offer. Like you see that in and out of narratives of the Bible is like people who feel inferior are actually the ones that God can use most. And I think there's something inside of every single individual here that wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. That there's a core longing inside of every individual here that says, I want to, I want to make a difference and I want to be involved and I want to contribute to this world in a, in a meaningful way. And Exodus chapter 25 is an invitation to do that. Because ex- Exodus 25, what it does um, is it, it asks the question, um, how can I collaborate? I'm going to use that language a little bit this sermon. How can I collaborate or partner with what God is doing in the world. So three things, if you're new to my preaching, you're not surprised there's three, you, you, you don't know this about me, but three points are, are a very common feature of my preaching. But three things we're gonna look at um, in this passage. Um, and this has to do with you responding to that core longing inside of you, that you wanna be part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, we're gonna look at the motivation of it. We're gonna look at the means of it, and then we're going to look at the method of it. So let's talk about the motivation of what it means to be um, partnering with God. And I'm, I'm primarily going to focus on the verses in chapter 25, if you're, if you're tracking with the text. So if you look at the first two verses, again, this is, this is the first events out of God marrying his people. Uh, no honeymoon here. Uh, God gets right to work. And the first thing that shows up uh, is an offering plate, for lack of a better term, right? The first thing God puts in front of his people is the offering plate. And I don't know your relationship with the offering plate. We don't pass an offering plate at our church. That's just practical and just a choice we made early on. But like, I've had just a, a very uh, a, a very divided relationship with the passing of offering plate. Have you ever been in a church where they kind of pass the plate? You, I, 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 I distinctly remember thinking... I, early Christian, I was a young Christian, I felt like I had to put something in there. I didn't have any money, so I put an empty envelope in there. So somebody saw me putting something in there. Um, but, but, you know, regardless of your relationship with uh, the offering plate, here's, here's what happens, is God does two things, and you see it throughout the passage. He both commands the participation, and he says it should be freely given. You saw that language of like, whoever's heart is stirred within them, uh, you know, whoever is moved in their spirit to participate in this way. So it's both a, a, a duty, command, and it's supposed to be a delight. And, you know, uh, great, you know, Swiss pastor, Protestant reformer, uh, John Calvin said it like this. He says, all scripture teaches us this, that no service is pleasing to God except that which is voluntary. So from the outset, like what, 
what Exodus 25 is beginning to in, invite inside of us is a voluntary heart, a willing heart that responds to God's command to participate. Uh, I, I, I thought of my dog. We've got a, 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 an incredibly smart labradoodle dog. And, you know, early on when you get a dog, you want to teach it a couple tricks. And what's like trick number, you know, t- one or two is, is shake, right? So we taught our dog to shake. And, I mean, it took a whole three minutes, I think, to teach our dog to shake. And so you, you, you'd start putting your hand out, and, like, she just got it. And, and it, just, it just became part of her thing. And now it's, it's funny. Our dog, is, it's so in her that the command, it, it doesn't even have to come. Like if you give her a look, like she's putting her paw out there. It's, it's, it's just in her. It's volun- voluntary. And I think that's kind of what, what God said. Like the command's there. Participate. Get involved. Contribute. But, but the overwhelming repetition and emphasis of the passage is this, but it, but it has to be from a willing heart. It has to be voluntary. Because God is way more interested in your heart being aligned with his work than, than your behavior being aligned with his work. He's way more interested in your heart than your behavior. So we, we see that and... You know, I mean, one of the questions we, we ought to be asking ourselves as we think about the motivation behind a willing heart is how do we know where our heart is? Like, what's the, what's the diagnostic test uh, for knowing, you know, what's going on in our heart? And you know, Jesus, he gives, you know, some, some tests uh, of how to, how to determine that. One of those is, is follow your cash flow. So, you know, Jesus would say infamously, you know, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also with it. So what I don't think Jesus was saying was like, you know, follow your money, your bank statement, and whatever you spend the most money on, that's what your heart's tied up to. Because that, you know, that's probably going to be, you know, your mortgage note. It's, it's not a proportional thing, but, but here's, here's kind of some diagnostic questions to ask. Like, what is it that I will willfully, freely generously, open-handedly give my money to? Like, what is the thing that will, you know, I will quickly, you know, pull out, pull out the wallet on? Like, what is the thing I will move towards in, in openness, you know, given any, any opportunity? Like, what is that thing? You know, like, is it, is it life experience you know, is it, you know, the, you know, the presentation of your home? Is it the athletic career of your children? Like, whatever that thing is that you will openly, willingly run at, given an opportunity, that's probably where your heart's bound up. And Jesus isn't mad at you about that. <laughs> so hear me on that. Like, he's not, like, here to, like, chastise you. Because this is an invitation. He's saying, listen, those are all great things. You should do all that. But if your heart is bound up in that, you're, you're, you're dreaming way too small. I'm inviting you to be part of something so much bigger. Um, and so here's, you know, the motivation. So, how, so let's just say you kind of don't have a willing heart to participate with what God's doing in the world. Like, can we all at least just to some degree just acknowledge that? Like, n- none of us, I would be so bold as to predict are like just jumping on every given opportunity. 
So let me just throw that out. Like, I'm not saying, you know, if you haven't arrived, just come on, come on over and arrive with us. But what I'm saying is like, let's start to assess and diagnose the motivation of our heart. So, so if you want to have more of a willing heart, um, what, are, what are some good motivating factors? Well, let me, let me tell you a couple bad ones first. Bad motivation for growing in your openness to partner with God in the world is merit. And by merit, I mean something that sounds like this. Well, God, if I'm going to get on board with what you're doing in the world, whether it be with my finances or my free time or my skill set, whatever it is, um, well, then I, you know, I kind of, I kind of want this from you. Like, I'll do this if you'll do this. Or it could sound something like, gosh, Lord, I, I feel like your frown of disappointment on my life. You know, I've, I've been a Christian for 15 years and I've, you know, haven't been very engaged. And so I think I'm going to start doing that. Um, and I, and I really hope, I really hope I can, I could just feel your favor a little bit more. Merit is a bad motivating factor. Another bad motivating factor is, is guilt. And I would, you know, I think uh, guilt, which, you know, runs into like compulsion, like just giving and responding and participating just under this low-level sense of duty only. Like I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And if I don't, God will probably be mad at me or he'll take something good away from me. So I'm just going to kind of do it at that level because the duty level feels manageable. Um, what happens is, is you'll burn out on it. Or it'll become just like you sludging through life with God. Like just, well, just got to do that because that's what I'm supposed to do. So what's the better motivator? Well, the, the best motivator and I would suggest to you that that's what's motivating these Israelites in the wilderness is the sheer extravagance of God's grace. Because, you know, lest, lest we forget, you know, this, is, this original event is happening with recently um, liberated slaves who are traveling to the promised land with God and um, everything they've been given to them has been given to them by grace. They had nothing to do with their deliverance. They have nothing to do with them being provided for in the wilderness. They had nothing to do with God choosing to marry them. Everything they have is a work of God's extravagant grace in their life. So when you begin to feel that posture inside your heart of everything I have has been given to me, it begins to motivate it. Like if God has indeed given you all things, how can I not be willing to give them away? Listen to the way the New Testament um, talks about, you know, the type of uh, partner God's looking for. In 2 um, yeah, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, um, says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here's my translation of that. Listen, if you're gonna just be kind of closed-fisted about things, 
fairly narrow, uh, you know, like you should respect that return on your investment. But listen, if you're going to be open and bountiful and really, you know, generous with your life, prepare yourself for a harvest because then it goes on to say this. Each one of you must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. The motivation for participating in what God's doing in the world ought not to be merit or guilt or compulsion, but a cheerful response to grace. So that's the, that's the motivation of it. What about the means? What does God use? Look at, look at verses 3 to 7 uh, again with me. Um, you know, he, he categorizes things. These are, these are precious metals and linens and stones, you know, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns, uh, tanned ramskins, goatskins, wood, all these things. Where did they get these? Like, did you think about that? Where, did, where would they have got all of these uh, resources? Gold, silver, bronze. I mean, that's, that's precious metals. Um, here's, here's where they got them. They got them from plundering their enemies. So if, you, if you've been with us, before they left Egypt, God told them, take from Egypt. Ask them to give you things and take things from them. And then as they were in the wilderness, they encountered another people group, the Amalekites, and they plundered them after they defeated them in war. So again, if they hadn't believed it already, all of the resources that were brought into their life were given to them. Everything they had was a gift of grace. Plundered their enemies for these goods. I mean, do you, do you believe that? Do you believe, because, you know, your, your scenario is different from the Israelites, but do you believe that everything you have has been given to you? Because, I mean, you know, all of us are drinking from this stream of the American dream that says work hard, um, earn, build your life, build your career, and... Um, and it will go well for you. And the longer you drink from that stream, the more you think this, I produced my life. I did this. And the more you think you did this, the less willing you're, you're able to be open with your life. See, God wants us to, in our bone of bones, in our heart of hearts, like, you know, really brass tacks to survey our lives and everything that's in them and to deeply believe it all came from him. If that will begin to get inside of you, the way you view your life will change. Because God is not asking you to take control of your life, right? Like that's what we believe, right? Take your life by the reins and run it and do great and perform and excel and, you know, hit your career goals and save your money and all the things. What God is asking you to do is to manage the life he's given you. And management is way different than control. 
Everything you have is from God. And the way to partner with God, like if, you know, one of the, one of the scarlet threads that I think runs through every narrative of the Bible is surrender. Relinquishing control of your life. If you want to be a partner with God in the world, you must learn to relinquish control of your life. Because if you're going to respond to the invitation that I'm about to, to give you from the, from the Bible, um, you, you cannot have both hands on the reins. You have to let go of what you thought your life should be, of what you think you deserve, of where you think you're headed. Um, because God is uh, in the business of turning our lives upside down. And while that might sound threatening to some of you, it ought to sound incredibly appealing to others of you. So that's the means, is God, you know, if you will relinquish control of your life, um, he will collaborate with you, and you will have meaningful work in this world. So then, then what's the method? Um, some of you know this. Uh, most of you don't know this, I, I would say. I would, you know, I think a lot of our churches, we've got a lot of new fresh friends in here with us, but uh, in January of 2020, I had hit really a, a low a point in my own personal life, professional life, and I was, I was exhausted um, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. I, I just, I was at the bottom, and some of you were at the bottom with me. I'm really glad that you were there with me. Uh, but one of the kind of the big takeaways I had from that experience of being at the bottom you know, at that point, I'd been a Christian, I don't know, 16, 17 years, been in ministry for over 10 years, and I came to this, you know, seemingly simple but simultaneously profound realization um, that I was living my life for God. And the invitation of me being at the bottom was like to stop living my life for God and to start living my life with God. It's that little prepositional change right there is all the difference in the world. If you're a Christian, and, and again, I'm, I never assume everyone in the hearing of the, of the, of the sermon is, is a Christian, but, I, but I, do, I do know many of you are Christians. I wonder if, you, if you've lived like I have previously lived and still struggle not to live like, and that is, you think you were supposed to be living for God in the world. Prepositions are everything in this kind of point. Do you think you're supposed to be, you know, living for God in the world? And by living for God, I mean like doing great things and, you know, living, you know, morally upright and faithfully attending church and doing the things that Christians are supposed to do in the world. Or, and here's the invitation, do you think God might be inviting you to live life with him for the world? See, that shift in my thinking, I mean, it was seismic in my spiritual, like in my gut. Like I think, and here's what I think God's inviting you to today, is to stop living for God and to start living with him. Because what God is doing with the Israelites in the wilderness is he's strengthening a bond of marriage 
so close that he's saying, I want to collaborate with you in this. I want you to contribute to this work. I mean, could God have just tabernacle? Yes. Could they have stumbled upon some other city that had some temples built, some buildings together, and they could have just done some reno work and, and been in a building? Yes. But God starts from the ground up, and he says, listen, I want you to be in on this. I want you to be a collaborator, a partner with me in the work I'm doing in the world. And here's, you know, here's, here's the thing I, I really want you to believe is that the greatest thing that each of you has to offer to this world is not your money. It is not your morality. It is not your religious behavior. Here is the greatest thing that you can offer to the world. Your transformed self. If you would collaborate with God in such a way that he would begin working these things inside of you, you would not only be liberated just to not feel exhausted, religiously speaking, but you would also have the greatest impact on the world because you would be the best neighbor, you would be the best coworker, you'd be the best son or daughter or grandchild, you'd be the best college roommate, the greatest thing you can offer the world is a transformed self. And just allow me for a minute to just cast a, some vision for our church. Um, what the New Testament says is that God, you know, he no longer dwells in temples made by the hands of men. Right? The tabernacle is no more. The temple is no more. The dwelling place of God is inside of his people. And the way that the book of uh, Peter uh, puts it, 1 Peter chapter 2, says that he is taking living stones and building a spiritual home. And who are the living stones? Well, they're those who have married God. They're those who have his spirit dwelling inside of them. And, and for so many of you, you've underestimated the power of that reality in your life. You're too busy living life for God and not living life with God. So here's, here's some vision for our church. And particularly if you're new, I know we have like a lot of new friends. Our goal as a church is not to build a building or to create religious programs or to start a classical Christian school. Our goal is to is to begin to experience spiritual transformation in our lives with each other and in our lives with God. And while that sounds really vague, perhaps, and a little ethereal and mystical, like everything we do as a church, and we, we kind of use this language, it's our tagline, is to bring the beauty of the gospel to the broken places of our lives. And, and we'll use kind of the language of like, seeing brokenness made beautiful. And so like wh whether you're like a deeply invested person in our church or you're just, this is your first Sunday and you just rolled in on, you know, Vision Sunday or whatever, um, here's, here's what the invitation of Exodus chapter 25 is. Partner with me. 
God has uniquely made you and your life in such a way that he's inviting you to collaborate with the work he's doing in the world. And the greatest gift that you can offer with your life is your transformed self. And the only way you will experience deep, lasting, authentic, genuine transformation is through the good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, do you remember when Jesus said, um, you know, he was always ticking the religious people off. Uh, he said, uh, you know, they were looking at the great temple, uh, the, the, the building where God's presence dwelt. And he said, look, take this temple, tear it down, and in three days I'll raise it back up. And, you know, come to find out Jesus wasn't talking about that building, although that building would tumble years later. He was talking about the building of his own body. And Jesus is the very temple of God. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus is the fullness of God, and even though he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, he gave his life away. See, if, if you want to know what like a wholehearted, collaborating uh, life looks like, you look at the work of Christ. And, you know, the, the moral of the sermon is not, hey, let's all go be more like Jesus. The moral of the story is that Jesus said that anyone who invites me in, me and my father will come and we will do what? John chapter 14, I think. We will make a home with him. The work that God is doing is to build his home inside of us and to build his home in the world. And the invitation is for anyone who would believe to be a part of that. And so the final two questions I'll ask as, as we come to a close this morning is this. Are you part of the house? Like the big C casa, the big C church. Like, have you believed that the only thing that will itch that core longing inside of you to belong to something bigger than yourself. Your career will never be big enough. Your children will never be great enough. Right? Your marriage will never be romantic enough. Nothing will be enough. Jesus Christ is enough. And he comes and he makes his home with anyone who would invite him in. And then my second question, if you do belong to that house, the big C casa, like, are you part of this, you know, I would call this the little C casita, <laughs> right? We're in New Mexico, you guys get that? Like, this, this, this little body right here, this little mosaic thing that God's doing, um, I, in my bone of bones more than I ever have before, believe that God is doing something unique in our midst. Some of, some of the individuals that God has brought to us, I'm just shocked. And so the invitation is to collaborate with what God's doing here in this little casita of believers. That you would put off all pretense that, that the church is to cater your needs or to keep you religiously active or spiritually nourished. What is your contribution to this casita? How will you be partners with what God is doing even in our midst. That's an invitation. That's what Exodus chapter 25 is inviting his people to do. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Father, I will be 
the first uh, among those gathered here to admit uh, that I am distracted with all of the opportunities that this world and this life offers me. From sports, youth activities, to church activities, um, to hobbies, um, to vacations. Like, Lord, our hearts are, are bound up to so many different things. And thank you for not being mad at us about that. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your invitation this morning. That the Spirit uh, would blow like the wind among the trees. That we wouldn't know where he's coming or what he's calling us to do or be a part of. But we want to be a part of what he's doing in our world. We want to collaborate. We want to partner with you. We want to contribute. We want to give our lives away. Lord, I'm, I'm pretty pretty convinced that at the end of our earthly lives, none of us will go back and say, man, I wish I would have, would have done more with my house or done more vacation or played in more basketball tournaments. I think we're all going to look back on our lives and say, Lord, I wish I would have been involved with what you were doing in the world. So would you help us to do that now? And we pray these things in, in Jesus' name. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 